My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, sensitive, protective, unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical, probably the most resilient person I know, dazzling, giving, extraordinary. When she first saw a photo of my dad, he was in Djibouti at the time in Africa on some mission when they asked him for a photo for this marriage proposal. And so he sent some like god awful photo of him like sweating in the jungles. And I guess my mom was like, absolutely not. And, you know, his family was kind of like, just hold on, we'll get another photo. This is Our Mothers Ourselves, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Gurki Basra knows a thing or two about dating. She even starred in a season of the Netflix show Dating Around. Her mother, Tanjeet Basra, on the other hand, had never been on a date right up to the day she got married when she was 22, which was also the day she met her husband for the first time. I invited Gurki to come onto the podcast to talk about her mother's marriage and the wisdom Gurki says she's gained from watching the ultimate blind date evolve into a loving marriage. So Gurki Basra, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about your mother. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, this is, you know, I've wanted to do a podcast on this very topic uh, for a while. There are so many questions, you know, what is it like to have a mother who was in an arranged marriage and how does that affect you (laughs) and All of that. So let's start. The one question I ask absolutely everybody, if you had one word to describe your mom, what would that word be? Oh, probably loving. My mom adores my brother and I. She's definitely always really prioritized us and, you know, our happiness definitely relates back to her happiness. Mm, Nice. Loving. So let's talk about her life, like where she was born, when she was born. Uh, so my mom was born in Bhati, India. Bhati is a little village in Punjab, and Punjab is a state in the northernmost part of India. And so she grew up in a little farm town. Um, her dad was a farmer, and she was one of six. What year was she born? Oh, 1957. Oh, 1957. So we are post-colonial India. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's one of five girls and one boy and the boy is second to youngest. So is a long string of girls and then a boy and then one more girl. And her name is Tanjit. Tanjit. Yep. Tanjit. And how well off was the family? She always described it as if, you know, that she was like a little princess living in a village because for today's standards, they definitely were not well off. They grew everything they ate. And of course, they had money to buy certain things that they needed to survive. But her father was sort of the head of the village. So he had the big farmland. He would host, you know, Sunday lunch for the entire town. So growing up, Even though they weren't super well off, her and her sisters and brother definitely felt like special and taken care of. And they knew, you know, that no matter what, their dad was going to kind of handle whatever needed to be handled. And what language do Punjabi speak? Punjabi is also the language. It's very similar to Hindi. So, you know, everybody in India, most people learn Hindi as well as whatever a secondary language would be. So they grew up learning Hindi and Punjabi. Mm -hmm. Tell me about her education. So she went off to boarding school, her and her sisters, and um, she subsequently ended up going to college. She also got her master's in sociology. Do you know what her family's relationship 
had been with the British colonialists back going back generations. I know that my grandmother, her her mom was born in Pakistan and had to move over during the partition. That's a whole separate thing, but that's kind of the extent of it. I didn't growing up, we didn't hear a ton in terms of the political landscape. Punjabis are known to be very proud that they're Punjabi. They're kind of like Texans in that way where they feel like they're their <laughs> own country. And so, you know, so yeah. it's always about kind of Punjab and the village they grew up in and wasn't this life so great? Look at what your grandfather did for the community. So it was very much more focused on kind of the local community. Mm -hmm, Like Texas. I like that. Did the family go down the birth order of daughters to marry them off? Tell me about that. (laughs) That's definitely yes. So my um, eldest aunt was the first one to get married. And she married a gentleman um, that lived in London. And then she moved to London uh, my mom, but hold and, on, but whoa, 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 back up one sec. So, sure, sure. So, so, your aunt married yes. a, a man from London. Was that an arranged marriage? It was. It uh-huh. was. So she saw. So she saw a photo. And yeah, see, that's another thing. I'm like Indian, so I just assume everybody knows. Like, yeah, of no. course it was an arranged marriage. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, no. So my um, my eldest aunt had an arranged marriage. She saw a photo, um, said yes, and then got married, went off to England. My mom got married, I believe, a couple of years after that. Let's, and, get, let, let's stick with your aunt for just a sec. Okay, yeah, so, sure. So how much older than your mom was your aunt? She's only like a year older than my mom. She's not that much okay. older. So this is interesting. So your mom watches this whole process of <laughs> her older sister getting married off uh, from a photograph that she sees. And you said she said yes. To, if she had said no, would that have made a difference? I mean, I'm not sure if it would have made a difference, but I believe they had a choice. My mom actually said, you know, my aunt said yes to the first kind of photo she saw and guy that came up you know, as an, I guess, a marriage proposal. But my mom did say no to, you know, a few marriage proposals before she said yes to my dad. And that didn't seem to be an issue with my grandparents. Got it. And who was the intermediary, the matchmaker, the yenta, the auntie? It really varies from family to family. I don't actually know in this case who was the the specific person that kind of arranged it. But, you know, again, like back in the day, my parents grew up, obviously, my mom grew up in a very small village. And to get a marriage proposal, you kind of had to go outside of that town, obviously, because you knew everybody you grew up with. There were, you know, you weren't about to marry anybody in that town. Um, and so it kind of became one of those things where when my grandparents, so their parents would go to another wedding or a social event outside of town, that kind of became the conversation topic. So, you know, from what I know, yeah. (laughs) Almost done with this one, on to the next one, right? Exactly, exactly. So it kind of became, you know, so you go to this other wedding, you're like, yeah, you know, I have a daughter too, she's ready to get married, do you guys know anybody? You know, and that sort of became the topic. And I did hear, you know, So again, my mom has, uh, she's one of five girls. And I remember hearing stories growing up. One of my aunts has like green eyes, which, you know, I guess was, you know, highly desired back then. And 
people would be like, well, what about her? And my grandparents would be like, nope, she's not ready to get married yet. Like, we're still trying to marry off the oldest two. So I do remember hearing those kinds of topics, which, you know, can be kind of disheartening, I would think, right? If you're like trying to get married and somebody wants to marry your younger sister. Like, I, I mean, I, my mom never said that was disheartening, but I would think it would be. And then how old was your mom? So let's walk through the whole process of your mom's marriage. So my mom uh, was 22 when she got married. Similarly to my aunt, had some marriage proposals come through via photos. She said no to, I believe, like two or three gentlemen. And then when my dad's, I guess, profile came across to her, it was more interesting because at the time uh, he was in the French military. So he didn't actually live in India. And of course, all the basics of came from a good family, etc., were there. But to her, I guess the big draw was the fact that he didn't live in India and it would provide her sort of an opportunity to see the world. But she laughs that when she first saw a photo of my dad, he was in uh, Djibouti at the time in Africa on some mission when they asked him for a photo for this marriage proposal. And so he sent some like god awful photo of him like sweating in the jungles. And I guess my mom was like, absolutely not. And, you know, his family was kind of like, just hold on, we'll get another photo. And then my dad sent like another more respectable photo of him, like in a uniform. And then she she was like, okay, all right, I can work with this. Like, obviously, that's not the words she used. And then what happened then? How did they meet? And was everybody there drinking tea like you see in that show? What's the show? Indian. Oh, Indian matchmaking. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's how it happens now. Uh, But my parents actually met on their wedding day. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So there was my aunt, actually, to your point, my eldest aunt did have tea with her husband and his family before they got married, but my mom did not. They actually met on their wedding day. And, um, and my mom goes back and always explains like how terrified she was. And again, my mom's really funny when it comes to describing my dad. She She's like, oh, and then I remember he was sitting there and he had this big belly that I didn't see in the photo. <laughs> I mean, when I look at the photos, I'm like, whatever, mom, he didn't have a big belly. I think she's just being a little, yeah, she's just being <laughs> a little bit of a drama queen and just kind of trying to make light <laughs> of the situation, you know? But so, uh, so was she all dressed up in her wedding outfit? When she oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. All dressed up. Tons of gold on. If you look at the photos, all, you know, head down, looking very demure. He was in his full on like military um, uh, uniform. So his formals. So then they have to stand there and say vows. So in the Sikh ceremony, um, similar to the Hindu marriage ceremony, the bride and groom actually don't have to speak. So you basically sit down in front of the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the religious book that follow. And there's a priest there and he reads a few lines. And that's pretty much it. I believe it's like a 30 minute ceremony. It's pretty quick. And yeah, and that's it. So they didn't have to say anything, do anything. You're kind of just sitting there. And then um, afterwards, it's just photos and food and all that good stuff. So do you have any idea how many words total they exchanged? 
I don't think they even I don't think they even spoke at their actual wedding. Yeah, no, I don't think they actually even said a thing. And again, like back then and still today in a lot of Indian marriages, it's it was much more about the families. So I know, you know, she exchanged a lot of words with like her new in-laws and my my dad's brothers and their family and like I just knew okay like some of some people get arranged marriages and other people meet on their own like it kind of didn't really dawn on me the impact of that or that it could be strange or odd until I myself started going out and dating and again I'm 38 now I got married to somebody that was from within the same culture and religion when I was 25 he was my first boyfriend I kind of dated within the Indian culture predominantly when I was younger so it wasn't until I was older and divorced and started dating kind of a plethora of people from different cultures that I realized it was kind of a unique situation but it it kind of never really felt different to me. It just was like one of those like options. Like I even have cousins that are younger than me that have had arranged marriages. They met their husband, you know, before they got married and dated over the phone. So it was, you know, much more, there was more relationship building prior to the marriage, but it it still to me doesn't feel that weird. So what I understand from watching that show is that there's marriage and then there's love marriage. I'm now at the point where I've seen kind of both sides. I've seen people have arranged marriages and then be successful or love marriages and then be not successful or arranged marriages, them not being successful and love marriages being successful. So I kind of think like, I don't think anyone really knows. And a lot of it is kind of up to luck, but I have not had luck finding anybody on my own. And I feel like, you know, the the people that I've seen that are my age that have had sort of pseudo arranged marriages have are really happy. And the mentality is just different. When you go into an arranged marriage, you're, the mentality is you're going to make it work versus when you're out there looking for, quote unquote, the one, you're trying to find somebody that can like fulfill you and grow with you and help you be your best self and, and like, that's a lot to put on a partner and on yourself to be for that person. And so, so I don't know, I agree with you. I think there's advantages to kind of uh, both situations. But as I've gotten older, I've definitely, re- I never thought I would want an arranged marriage. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that, oh, maybe they're not so bad. <laughs> you know, this makes me think of my, I was married to my late husband. We had met as children and grew up together and his parents had always been, when I was a child, my role model of a, a relationship, just the way they interacted. And so when they came to visit us in California years ago, and they were celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary, and we went out to dinner, and I said, what is the secret? And my mother-in-law, she said, well, it's like this menu, Katie. You know, here, you could order the chicken, and you know that if you get the chicken it'll be good, it'll be this and that, it'll come with these side dishes, but you can't have the steak, (laughs) which you might also want. And she said, but you make your menu choice and you stick with it. And And then she said, and then when somebody else's meal comes and they've ordered the steak, it is not an option to say I... 
right? Yeah, you can't ask for a bite. There's no, yeah. there, you, you order the chicken, you stick to the chicken. But it's funny. Isn't it funny? It's kind of profound. It's like, that's your menu choice. You stick mm-hmm. with your menu choice. So from with your mother, from seeing the photograph, she says, okay, I can work with this from a photograph. Right. And, and then they get married. And so tell me, did she then learn to love him? Do you know how the evolution of their marriage happened my mom again like she's really funny about how she describes my dad you know it's kind of like a old married couple that kind of always like makes fun of each other but you know they truly actually really love each other and respect each other and my parents like if you met like they they could not be more opposite like they have completely different interests they're very very different so it's funny but when you go back and you look at like old photographs like there's definitely like a lot of tender moments there like I love seeing the photos of my parents when they were young But when my brother and I were born, it definitely became all about me and my brother. Uh, My dad kind of just became like, you know, breadwinner, (laughs) secondary to (laughs) us. But, you know, being in France as an immigrant, you know, French wasn't her first language. Um, And so to be in Houston where her sisters had, you know, bought a couple of businesses and to be involved in that was really important for her. So we ended up moving when I was 12 to Houston my father stayed back so that he could retire from the military and get his pension and all that good stuff. So he came over five years later. And so for them two as a couple, the focus of the marriage really shifted to more, we got to provide for our kids, we got to give them opportunities. And then it hasn't been until, you know, kind of fast forwarding recently, I've seen more of a let's go for a walk or I'll see them outside having dinner together while my brother and I might be inside. And so it hasn't been until recently that I've kind of seen this little bit of a shift of them kind of trying to reconnect and find kind of common ground. I don't know if I would call it romance because I don't think it's there's much of that, but kind of, it's kind of romantic. Go for a walk and do those little things together around the house. So when you got to the age when you were starting to date, did she say, oh, Gorky, do or don't do what I did? Did she give you advice? As a kid, it's funny. They would always joke that they're going to find me a husband that has like the long mustache. And I'd be like, no, mommy, please don't do that. (laughs) But they like, I mean, they were strict. Like in high school, I was not allowed to date. It wasn't until college that I could, you know, obviously I was free. I could date whomever. But the minute I started having a boyfriend and it was somebody from the community that kind of checked all the boxes, my parents knew his parents. Oh, really? Um, So So did you meet him just by happenstance? So I was friends with his cousin, in college. And yeah, so quote unquote, it would be a love marriage. But the minute my parents kind of got wind of it, that was like the first thing of like, oh, that's awesome. Like, when do we meet as parents? Like formally, when are you guys getting married? Like it, there wasn't like a conversation about like, oh, you know, have fun, enjoy, get to know each other. Like that's not mm-hmm. for my parents. Dating meant marriage. Like there was no sort of in between. And when you say that you were um, part of the same community, which the Punjabi? Yes, Punjabi. So you got married to this person from your community. Did you have a traditional Indian wedding? Yeah, we did. We did. So I wore the big red outfit, uh, the whole thing. I think we had like 300 people at our wedding reception. The whole thing was traditional. Yep. In Houston. In Houston. Mm -hmm. And then how long were you married and what happened to the marriage? 
So we were married for five years. Um, it, you know, it was one of those things where he and I had been dating. He's my first boyfriend. It kind of felt like the right next step. Um, I, w- I was kind of just going through the motions and something didn't feel right for me, but I couldn't really put it into words. And like, I don't really have an excuse. My mom had an arranged marriage. She made that work. I picked this guy and I don't even have something specific of why I don't feel good about this. So I had doubts going into the marriage and, uh, the year that we got married actually, Before we even had a wedding date, my mom got ill. So she went to India on a trip and the pollution, I guess, was really bad. She had the flu. She ended up coming back with a flesh eating pneumonia, which I I didn't even know was a thing. And the doctors didn't know what to do. And so they put her in a medically induced coma. Uh, fast forward, long story short, we thought she was going to die. She somehow miraculously made it. And so when she came out of it, all she wanted was to just see me be married. And so then I kind of just put my own stuff aside and decided like, okay, fine, we'll just get married. And I think she came out of the coma April and we, I planned the wedding for a couple months that summer. And then I went off to business school to get my MBA. And then we got married that December during December break. Oh my gosh, what a story. The good news is my mom is that happened over 10 years ago. And my mom is still here and living and healthy. So there you were married having felt the pressure to put your own doubts aside, because she was so sick. And then it just didn't work. It did not. Yeah. So all the doubts I kind of had about the relationship, it it just kind of all came to head. Was she understanding? She again, like she couldn't wrap her mind around it because she she had an arranged marriage and she just had to make it work. And all the things about my dad that, you know, she doesn't like, like she just makes it work. And all the things that my dad doesn't like about my mom, they just figure it out and make it work and they compromise. And so for her... It was really hard to understand. Now, fast forward, after seeing how much more of myself I've become, how much happier I was post-divorce, she's realized like, oh, this is the real Gerky. That Gerky in that relationship was like not happy. And like, this is why that had to end. But at the time, it was really hard for her to understand. And I actually had to stop talking to my family for like six months as I was progressing through the divorce and the paperwork, because for me, it was just too hard to have to have that battle every day of explaining why I was doing what I was doing. Wow. Um, Oh, that must have been so hard for you because you turned to your family for support. Yeah, it was not a, it was not a fun time, (laughs) but it, you know, it, it did help me kind of, you know, sometimes looking inwards and finding strength within yourself is important in life too. Um, it taught me a lot about myself. Um, and I think it was important for my family and I to have that break and to be able to come together and rebuild from like a more honest place, a less codependent place, a place from like where I'm like, this is me. You're not going to be happy with all of my decisions but you know you can still love me and of course they still love me and, and it brought us closer even at you know eventually once we kind of got over the hump mm-hmm. and uh, it, this makes me wonder though people uh, what do you know the statistics of like how many indian arranged marriages end up in divorce i feel like it's becoming more and more of a phenomenon even though i feel like people usually associate divorce with like as a western thing i think it's becoming more and more prominent in india as well mm-hmm. so what do you think now going forward so you're 
you're not married now. I'm not. And you're dating. Um, I am. So I actually went on a, so after I got divorced, I kind of wrote off marriage. Like I kind of decided like, all right, I tried it. I don't know if it's necessary. Like I, <laughs> like I checked it off the list. Like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm hopeful for the possibility of like love and, you know, a long-term relationship again, but I haven't, I haven't dated anybody in a bit. And like you mentioned earlier, these dating apps, it's, it's really horrible. I like, I'm like, I don't want to judge based on a photo, but that's all you have. And yeah. And now with COVID, I'm like, I guess I should just become a monk. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) This pandemic dating is really tough. Yeah. So, but it does make me think, I just had a thought, which is that back in your mom's day, she would just see a photo, but she mm-hmm. she didn't have a choice because she was going to have to choose someone, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it sounds like she's happy enough and fulfilled enough. And she, based on a photo, made her menu choice. And No, they- totally. You're totally, you're right. And like this whole phenomenon of wanting like if you study the history of dating and like you know this new culture of every and millennials now are actually dating a lot less than our generation um and it's interesting but this whole phenomenon of like the person you're with has to be your other half and they have to fulfill you to your best capacity and you guys have to be like soulmates and all that like that's a very recent thing Like, that's not like nobody put that kind of pressure on their partners before. You know, I I really respect what my mother and father's relationship is. And I think my mom sees all the positives that the marriage with my dad had, even, you know, even if it wasn't love at first sight. And, you know, she always jokes that she's like, oh, I wonder how love at first sight feels. I wish I would have felt it, you know, and like so she still has those like emotions and those desires from watching movies but she's you know I think to your point there's something really beautiful about the fact that she could just make it work and to your point be happy enough because that's all you can really ask for from another person everything else has to come from within you and you have to work on that stuff that is such a great point and such a wonderful note to end on I uh, I want to thank you so much thank you for having me and being open to you know having this conversation And that's it for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme music was composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Manchin is our artist-in-residence. And David Walters was the producer for this week's episode. Please visit us at ourmothersourselves.com and contribute your one word that best describes your mother to the site's mother word cloud. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Have a safe week, everyone. <laughs>